Welcome to the Four Seasons Landscaping Podcast. <laughs> Hi, I'm Professor and Dr. Jordan Peterson. Do you need landscaping, but you find yourself wrapped by the by uh, the elements as you live in an area of the United States that uh, is ravaged by all four seasons? Well, then look no further. Then the Four Seasons Hotel in in Philadelphia, where you can get all your landscaping done by their housekeeping. <laughs> oh God! Wait, what? What do you mean it's not the right copy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, welcome everybody oh, to boy. Spaghetti for Brains podcast. I'm Ben, and with me is Norm. <laughs> I'm Norm. He's Norm. And I've gotten warm. <laughs> yeah. I've heated up. And uh, you might want to turn me down as olive oil has a low smoke point. <laughs> oh, uh. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> so we're. Maybe I'm not quite as heated up as I thought. <laughs> <laughs> so we're. Uh... We're here again. Uh, I thought that for this episode, I wanted to try to do something a little different because I'm a little bit exhausted of hearing about the election. I think it's probably because I listen to like six podcasts a week or whatever, maybe even more. And uh, like at my job, one of the things that I have to do is just like stand in one spot, just like packing bags of stuff. And uh, so I just I do that like eight hours at a time. And so I listen to just endless podcasts and all of them have been about the fucking election and i'm just so sick of it so i w- i thought that we'd do a slightly different episode and talk about something that uh <clears throat> let's see how do i describe it i wanted to talk about meaning the meaning of life well not exactly but i wanted to talk about basically i wanted to ask this question yeah i wanted to ask this question which is the question that concerns me in like uh my writing and everything uh, a lot of my my writing project is basically concerned with asking this question, which is, who are we, and who gets to answer that question? So, uh, one of the things that I wanted to look at uh, is how how we actually make meaning, yeah, like what, and in more than one sense, how we make life mean something, but also how you know where meaning comes from, like what we what we think things are uh, worthwhile and uh, where where value comes from and obviously as a marxist i have a very very uh specific and well thought out idea of where value comes from in uh more than one sense but i guess starting with that one of the things that i wanted to start with and i'm going to tell you this norm uh basically read you this little bit here right and it's a it's uh from marx's Uh, a critique of political economy. It's the preface that he wrote. Um, A lot of people talk about this passage as well. Uh, It's it's used a lot. It's referenced a lot. And often it's referenced in ways that I think 
are not as helpful as they could be. So he talks about uh, how the way that we make stuff, the way that we create the world, the, the material world, the physical world, the way that we create our own subsistence, create the things that we need to survive, and obviously the way that we organize society to do that has a determining factor on everything about our lives from like, uh, you know, our social life, our political life, our ideas, the way we think, everything, yeah? And so the, the passage that I'm particularly interested in is Marx says, it's not the consciousness of men that determines their being, but on the contrary, their social being determines their consciousness. And I know that uh, this gets, this gets uh, used in Marxism as a kind of basis for what they call like the base and superstructure model, right, in Marxism. The base being the economic base, the, the, the material reality, the organization of society that's uh, instituted in order to create the subsistence for all of us to live and that's dominated by one class over another. And it, it gets used a lot in like a deterministic way where it, it, it's based, some people, some kind of like what they call vulgar Marxists, I guess, use it to, to say that uh, everything is economically determined. Everything is determined by the base. And I guess that's not uh, wholly untrue, but it's very deterministic. And I'm not as interested in that way of looking at it in uh, rather what uh, David Harvey in his lectures, uh, if you look at uh, his lectures on YouTube, uh, reading Capital with reading Marx's Capital with David Harvey. He talks about this particular passage because it shows up in chapter 15 of Capital as well in a footnote. Marx like cites himself in it. And Harvey talks about how there's like a different way to read all this, to look at this, right? And that he's talking about the process of human development. And uh, Marx is looking at this process of human development. And there's these different components of the process of human development that are constantly evolving and they're like co-evolutionary that's the word he uses co-evolutionary and i think that that's more interesting and if we look back at the thing right so it's not just it's not like the our being isn't determined by our consciousness it's not like the way that we are in the real world is uh is the product of ideas but rather the other way around it's like our social being what we are to each other determines what we think and what we know and what we can know and one of the things that I think is so crazy about the times that we live in is because uh, consumerist capitalism in this form, this like late stage capitalism, whatever you want to call it. I don't like all these buzzwords, but you know what I mean? Like neoliberal capitalism, consumerism, whatever you want to call it. It, it really like puts the individual at the center of everything. And when you look at the world through that lens, it looks fucking crazy. It looks fucking crazy if you look at it that way. Because we all look like atomized, isolated individuals who are just out for ourselves and just uh, basically alone. You know, it makes you look and feel alone because you're just this thing that exists in, in, in its entirety, uh, separate from everything else. And you enter into this like economy of relations with other people as this like fully formed entity, which is just fucking stupid. I mean you know for one that if you took a baby and like sent it off into the woods and it was raised by wolves it would be more like a wolf than it would be like a person because of what a person is is who we are to other people 
And that's that. That's something that I think is uh, that's one way of interpreting this Marx quote, right? Is that we are who we are to other people. We are who we are because of who we are to other people. In part, I'm sure you know. There's obviously like a kernel in there that's uh, that's just you. You have like an individuality. You have like a sort of uniqueness. Every person does. But also, I mean, none of it makes sense. None of it works except in that whole. You're not, we're, we're not complete unless you put us like in context, and that context is a very primary, fundamental, you know, sociality. We're social. We're social animals. We can't exist. And uh, that's one of the things. So I, I just wanted to look uh, and ask, what does this mean? So if you take this together, right? So like if we're primarily social and all this social stuff like, you know, basically determines how we like view the world. What about all these things that are real in the world, these material things in the world? Like, how do you how does that work? And what does that mean about us? So that's why I'm interested in this question. Like, who are we? Who are we? And who and, and, and more importantly, almost or equally importantly, who gets to answer that question? Because you can just say like, oh, you know, my name is Ben. I'm, I'm like, you know, an American guy who lives over here or whatever. Or my name is Norm. And I'm a guy who can do like a Jordan Peterson impersonation very well and make this other guy, Ben, laugh or whatever. <laughs> um, but who gets to answer the question? Like who decides who we are? You know, because that's that's one of the ways that power gets exercised. But anyway, before I run like off at the mouth here and get too he far ahead of myself, I want to like look at some of the stuff that like the world like. So so what about the, the material facts of the world? And one of the things that interests me and I know it interests you as well, Norm is astronomy right like looking at the uh at the universe as a whole like i want to start by zooming out we're looking at the world <laughs> come with me through a journey <laughs> 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 um yeah so do you, you know, it's funny norm i didn't realize until after i left the states like we were mates in the states and everything and then i left and then like a couple of years later we're still in touch and everything but then I saw you like posting stuff on social media about astronomy and that interested me because I didn't know when I was in the same ever being in the same room with you that you were into astronomy. So like is that a thing that how did you how did you get into like reading about astronomy? I actually didn't really get uh really obsessed with astronomy uh, until like 2005 or 6. Um so it was at, it was just after you had left. Mm -hmm. Uh, was when I began, like, I had a certain phase where I was supposed to be researching a paper <laughs> about, <laughs> uh, about the, about, like, the anti-nuclear movement and Robert Oppenheimer and how he became anti-nuclear after creating the atomic mm. bomb and, like, the whole, like, uh, I was just fascinated by him and how, like, the very guy who created this thing, uh, was so reflective about it. And he quoted Faust and like, I am, I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Um, and while I was doing that, NASA messed around and uh, released something amazing. Uh, the Hubble Ultra Deep Field. Um, I'm just trying to confirm some of the facts about it. Uh <laughs> Yeah, 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 it was in 2004, so I probably found out about it like around 2005, probably. Yeah, and um, 
And actually, now that I think about it, it was in the spring of 2005 that I was writing this paper. <laughs> so that really was when I got into it. But I actually think it might predate that. I think I'm misremembering that with another tangent I went down when I was supposed to be writing that paper. Uh, but uh, basically, the Hubble Ultra Deep Field is a picture you might have you you, uh, you have definitely seen, but one has likely seen... Uh, where it's a black background and there's all these colorful dots and specks that once you look look at it a little deeply, you realize yeah. that these specks and dots are mostly galaxies. It's a very beautiful, striking image. Hmm. Um, but then when you actually look into what it is, it's, it's absolutely astonishing. Uh, and what it is is that the Hubble telescope is, for all intents and purposes, one of the most powerful telescopes in the world. It is one of the most powerful telescopes in the world, and it's not in the world is what makes it so powerful. It's outside of, in in orbit, outside of the Earth's atmosphere, which is this thick layer of gas that is relatively clear. We can see the stars and, and the things outside, but we don't see them super clearly. And this is noted when you actually look up and you see stars twinkle and like uh, uh, there's distortion when you look at the moon with uh, something powerful. Um, but if you wanted to look at something quite distant, then having to look through the atmosphere becomes much more significant. And for powerful telescopes on Earth, they have to take that into account. Uh, the Hubble Sp Deep Space Telescope doesn't have to because it's out there beyond the atmosphere. So it's capable of taking sensitive photos of more distant things where the light uh, is, you know, much more faint because it's traveled so far and for so long. There's been more opportunity for things to stop it, for example. Uh, and so when you're talking about distant things there are things that hubble is capable of seeing that we essentially can't see from earth and so when they did a renovation on it in 2004 uh and you know it's not an easy task they have to go up there with the space shuttle and uh they installed new equipment and whatnot uh they decided to use it to <laughs> try and take a version of this photo the hubble deep field um, and basically what the Hubble Deep Field is, is they're saying, okay, the Hubble has this powerful, super sensitive camera. Let's point it somewhere where we up until now have not seen anything and see what we see. And so they pointed it at this spot that other observations had come up blank, you know, and uh, I may be doing some Joanna Newsom Emily here, uh, which is okay, which is like incorrectly explaining certain concepts, but, you know, the sort of... <laughs> Power and message still comes across. Uh, it's poetic. But uh, yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so they pointed it at this spot and did a hundred hour exposure. So Hubble is, this took a very long time to do because, you know, Hubble is moving very fast in space and it, there's only so long that it can be looking at one spot. Uh, and so it, it would take like one frame every who knows how much time and eventually compile the hundred hours worth of exposures of this spot that had seemed blank. And what they saw was not only that it wasn't blank, but that it was this image of the Hubble Deep Field, uh, which is simply filled 
with galaxies. Yeah, yeah. And so if you think that this, not that says so much, there's so many things to think about in this, not only the concept of, you know, don't assume that you understand things and that you have all the knowledge because what looks like nothing to you may actually be absolutely, you know, like almost everything, you know, to, certainly to someone else, to someone who's in one of those galaxies, you know, and we'll get to that, you know, the likelihood that there's someone in that spot of right, nothing right. looking back at us. Uh, and so not only is that there, but that's one tiny spot that's like the Hubble, the whole Hubble deep field image is like one tenth of the size of the moon in the night sky. So extrapolate those thousands of galaxies that you can see in that one image to the entire sky, and you get a sense of the scale much <laughs> in a, to a much greater sense because it becomes much easier to understand that we're talking about hundreds of billions at a minimum of other galaxies and you know each of those galaxies contains ranges of billions of stars and who knows how many planets on those stars and who knows how many whatever on those planets so it really humbles you and grounds you in the notion that we are just this one rock spinning around this one speck of light that and which is spinning around this bigger black hole, which is also spinning through this immensely bigger universe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so so like that's just the general idea of awe and scale that the Hubble Ultra Deep Field like suddenly brings forth, you know. And then there's other cool things about it, like since it's capturing this faint light, it's capturing things that are incredibly distant. And that also means they're incredibly old. If something is 13 billion light years away, which a lot of this stuff was, then that means it took 13 billion years for that light to get to Hubble. Right. So whatever it took a picture of, it was there 13 billion years ago. It's right. not there now. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So the Hubble Ultra Deep Field, what you're looking at is also the oldest things ever ever photographed they're also the most distant things ever photographed and they also don't exist anymore uh, <laughs> um or, or 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 they don't exist in that sense in that space anymore um yeah so that began this incredible fascination that that went deeper than just information it really brought the scale of the universe rushing at me right. to realize just how absurd the notion that anything is unique about earth let alone the notion that life is unique about earth uh you're asking yourself to make the greatest probabilistic mischaracterization misanalysis than you that you can possibly conceive of like yeah. if i asked you to conceive of something unlikely like, what is the most unlikely thing you can think of? If you actually calculate it out, it would pale in comparison to this notion that there is anything unique about Earth in the universe, that, right, as right. we understand it, you know? Yeah. Uh, what is the actual probability? So, I don't know, but yeah. there's like... It's, it's some uh, ridiculous it number, isn't it? It's like, it's like a law, one in... Yeah. Or not Fermi's Law. <laughs> the, but it is all physics. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, just think about it. Multiply 100 billion by 100 billion by, you know, 100 yeah, billion, yeah, yeah. you know? 
so it's it's an immense number, and we're in an immense place. And when you think of that scale, like not only should it humble you, but like also like think about the scale of time that I talked about. It makes so many things seem so fleeting. You realize that when we talk about life, humans, and like the length of time that civilizations have lasted and stuff like that, these are specks in what we understand of as time. The entire existence of life on this planet like is a speck in the existence of time and time is not done with us time will do what it's going to do and we know what it's going to do eventually like in a long long time like hundreds of billions of years like the our galaxy is going to crash into the next closest galaxy because of gravity because everything this big is slowly moving towards each other even though we're also moving away from the center of the galaxy for now which many people theorize that uh you know, like, we'll eventually get to a point where that initial push away from the center is not as strong as the gravitational forces of all the things to each other, so there will be a great crunch, and everything will crunch back upon itself. But like I said, we will long have been absorbed into Andromeda, and the sun will have expanded to, you know, engulf the Earth and the moon and Mars and wherever else we hope to go, like, for now. Uh... And then it'll explode, uh, and, you know. Uh, so, like, there's you, you have to understand that eventually there's a timeline for everything. But like, we're talking a massive one. But uh, you know, yeah. So the, the idea you know, that we're that, alone. I'm yeah, yeah. I always put that grand context into everything. Uh, so, it, like, that's what shapes a lot of my conversations about meaning and stuff. It comes from a fundamental place of uh, understanding how little meaning anything that we can ascribe meaning to here uh, actually has. And we can expand on this, but this is where I'll leave it because this is the fundamental conflict I have with other people's analysis is that just because there is no greater meaning, just because we are so... (laughs) uh, you know, so so small in the in the grand scheme of things, uh, doesn't mean that there isn't an incredible amount of importance and value to this moment and the fact that we are actually, despite all of this vastness, we are actually alive during this ever so brief period that this planet uh, is one of the unlikely few that can inhabit what we are uh it's incredibly special that we're not that important you know right <laughs> it makes <laughs> yeah, exactly. it makes what we are so much more valuable to us it's not actually valuable to the earth and the and the stars in the universe but to us who are experiencing is experiencing this brief blip in time it's everything and that is incredibly important uh and Unfortunately, so many people that want to ascribe something else, sorry, Jordan Peterson there for a moment, so many people uh, know that want to ascribe something greater, be it uh, generally something like religion, um, they're, they're, they're delaying the importance and they're, they're shifting the value of what they do to some sort of other. Uh, and, you know, they turn to me and say, how can you have meaning to your life without this other? 
And I turn to them and say, how do you not see that without the other, all I have is meaning to my life? Right. You know? Right. Also, I, I want to pick up where that right there, because for me, this is a this is a really interesting fundamental question, because like I used to believe in God. And one of the things that made me stop believing God, believing in God was not just like the, the obvious, like, look at all these horrible things that happen to kids and shit. If like God exists, then why the fuck would they let this happen? But also, if you think about it, r- believing in God is like it's it's like knowing the end of the book. It's like knowing the story, the, the beginning, middle, and end already while you're in it. And you're just trying to make every other bit of the story, including the bit that you're standing in, because you're like a character as well as a reader in life, right? You know? Like, if you think about it like that, if the story metaphor holds up at all. Yeah? And it's like trying to make sense of the story as mm-hmm. you're reading it, trying to m- get some meaning out of it, because you already know what happens at the end, and you're trying to interpret every single thing that's happening to fit that ending, because you know what happens. And so it's like predetermined. And it just, I think that that distorts everything that you see. For me, it does. For me, it did, certainly. It made me feel like yeah. I had to fit everything around this you've got it backwards it's like a myth it's like it's like it's mythological thinking where you're you're trying to like you've got your origin story in a way or in a you know and your and your end point and everything in the middle just has to like bend and and fit into those two like starting and ending points and that to me is like a crazy way to approach life because every single time something happens that's like a rupture in that uh, narrative that doesn't fit into that. It just makes you suffer more, you know? And, uh, and this is yeah. one thing, like, we're going to make fun of Jordan Peterson later, but one thing that he says that, that isn't actually wrong is that he, he kind of borrows from this, like, Buddhist notion of, uh, of dukkha, right? Which is, like, the constant, like, unsatisfactoriness of life as just, like, a precondition of life. It's, like, just something that you have to accept is that th- it's just, like, there's, like, suffering involved. It gets translated to suffering, but I think that a better... A better way of interpreting that word, that concept, dukkha, is actually just like unsatisfactoriness. It's like always incomplete, right? And so it's like, that brings me back, though, to the astronomy thing, right? Because people turn to astronomy to ask these questions about, are there other worlds? Is there other life? Is there other consciousness? And then like aliens and all that stuff, are they going to come and find us? Are they going to know more than us? Are they maybe already aware of us? And they're like, no, they don't want to talk to us because they're like, you people are fucking crazy. You know what I mean? Like, we don't <laughs> want to go, you know, but it's funny because like when you think about it, right, like you said, the impossibly small uh, probability of us existing in the first place, yet here we are, suggests that if there is other life in the world, it's not going to necessarily be like a biped, a mammalian shaped, you know, like a like a like an ape. You know, like a, a exactly. <laughs> ape shaped yeah. man. Like it could be a gas. It could be, uh, yeah. you know what I mean? It, it it could be like something that doesn't, that we don't really like know yet. It could be made of like, I mean, we don't know what dark matter is and dark matter accounts for like 85% of the universe. It could be made of that. You know, you don't, you, you just don't know. We can't see it or something. It could be, it could be a safe space. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Please edit that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, but like the thing is like, so, so people, people would ask, like, it, why do we place so much importance like on other worlds when this one's so fucked up? Right. And it's like, but maybe, but maybe do you think like, you know, is that why, is that why people like need to dream about this shit? And do you think that that, I, I, I feel like that's kind of missing the point, you know, like, uh, the, the, the mystery the mystery of it, like the, like not knowing is the thing that is like contributes to the emptiness 
in the world that that like where meaning should be is the thing that makes us go like fuck we better produce some meaning you know and that's that's that doesn't yeah. mean that it's meaningless and fake just because we made it it means that we made it you know it makes it like yeah. you said like all the more precious because it's because it's ours you know yeah it actually makes it much much more real in my opinion you know like the uh like i don't want to like talk about so many tired ideas but like we are the only animal, the only being that we're aware of that like truly seems to be aware of its I- impending death, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it, it, from a very young age, informs so much of what we think. And it's, n- it's not a comfortable, easy thing to deal with. No one has. No one has, <laughs> has come to some sort of comfortable... Uh, workable understanding and and peace with this notion of death. Mm. We can ignore it. We can not allow it to dominate our lives, either through willful ignorance or through just like, you know, positively thinking about other things, you know, that are more relevant Mm. or through just fashioning some sort of narrative that allows you to stop thinking about it and stop worrying about it. And that's the, those latter two are the key ones that people seem to do. Uh, People seem, you know, generally we either create some, we go along with some sort of myth that someone else has provided for us that answers a lot of questions for us, uh, which, you know, a lot of people shift, religion shift a lot of those questions and those those worries and the and like the plan of not only later in life but still many things in the current one to these sort of uh, rituals of religion but then also just practically a lot of people just you know our times are filled our time is filled our mental capacity is filled with the things that we have involved ourselves with yeah. uh, be that raising a family be that pursuing work most most of the time you know and then de- desperately trying to pursue leisure when we're not pursuing the work just not a lot of you know the, the 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 space for a lot of those questions is often take uh, taken up but you know th- there's a lot of people who want to say oh well i'm not going to turn to some sort of story or myth or religion or something like that uh I'm not going to delude myself about anything. Like uh, I'm just going to deal with the world and 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 come to the answers that way. But you don't actually come to the answers. It's a, it's a constant process of right. trying to come to terms with the fact that you are actually going to meet this end, and so is everybody. And so you have to basically at all all moments live with the with the present the fact that you are actually again alive right now Mm. uh and so you can ascribe this moment meaning right the same way that you ascribe the future meaning uh only that that moment can be tied more to the things that you can actually actually do right now um, I want to. I want to like straight from the point. Now I've straight. No, from no, the it's point. okay because I want to. I, I think it's interesting as well because like I want to roll back just a little bit because one yeah. of the things that you picked up that's that's interesting to me because it's like I want to talk more first. Uh, second in this like second place, I want to talk more about like how that actually happens, like what the process is of making meaning like that. But before we do, like you said about yeah. people, like we said in the, in the beginning, I was saying like I I really think that this like marks. Uh, quotation is really really interesting because if you take yeah. this idea that we're like primarily social 
Yeah. As like, as like that's the thing that like determines like what we're able to think. It's like it, it, it forms like our, the material basis of our reality of like needing each other, of being like vulnerable to each other and vulnerable to nature and needing each other to be able to survive in nature and organizing society along these lines that makes it possible for us to actually produce the means of our subsistence and the way that that gets like uh, distorted and, and, and uh, like grossly, like it becomes monstrous as, as it, as it has developed throughout history with like slave societies and with, uh, with feudalism and with capitalism. I mean, it's vastly unequal and there's a lot of violence involved and it's horrible, but nonetheless within, within that like sphere, within that, like uh, that like economy of sociality, there's, there's this way that we have to think. There's like certain ways that we have to think to be able to survive. Yeah. And like what we're capable, there's like an epistemology involved, right? To use a big word, right? There's like what we, how mm -hmm. we know what we know and what we can know, like the limits of what we can know. We like establish these boundaries before we're born. You're like born into it. And then you have to work within that. And the thing is, is that some people, I feel like if we zoom in now a little bit, like away from uh, astronomy and religion and look at like the way that people, uh, uh, I, I feel like we've established that there's an absence at the heart of of human life, and uh, and the absence is is the thing that, that generates a need for meaning, and we fill that absence with the meaning that we generate. Okay, like I want to start. That's like a basic point that I'd like to kind of establish, right? And the problem is, is that because we're so desperate to have that absence filled. We're so desperate. You can't go through your life just having like this nihilistic view that like nothing means anything and it's all just bullshit because eventually you would just despair and either like kill yourself or just like sit there and rot, you know? And so people jump in to give you ready-made versions of, of what you can fill this absence with. And one of those things that I think is crazy now, like again, we live in this crazy time now where because everything has come down to this idea of like the individual that you're like unique and that you're like uh, dis like a discrete individual, right? That th that to me is like it leads to these these really dangerous nihilistic ways of thinking, and it leaves people who when they're uh, when those those structures they fail, they look for someone to fill the absence, right? And they find people on the right. Like uh, the two that I w thought were interesting and that I wanted to talk to you about, Norm, were one, we were obviously, we, we've already talked about this. We're making fun of Jordan Peterson. He's an interesting one. And another one's Katie Hopkins. I'll get to her in a minute, though. But to start with Jordan Peterson, right? Like his whole thing is like the 12 rules for life. Okay. And the f I love, I love, uh, I love this because he's, he's, did you ever hear uh, that thing that someone called him? It was like the, the stupid guy, smart guy. The <laughs> like that's, that's Jordan Peterson. He's like the stupid guy, smart guy. And the funny thing is like, like all like grifters, but actually, you know what? You know what? I don't think that Jordan Peterson is necessarily uh, acting in bad faith. I don't think that he's like grifting necessarily. I think maybe he is in a, a bit, you know, like he's, he's probably, but I think he's like, I think he's, he drank the Kool-Aid along with the rest of the, uh, with the Jonestown, you know, like he's, he's in it. I think he's, I think he believes it. Right. And it's, there's a current and, and like all people who have these, these, uh, uh, ready-made solutions for like the absence of meaning at the heart of like human life. He's, he's, there's like a kernel of something true in what he's saying, you know, cause what he kind of says uh, and the, the the one that's like salient to our conversation here is like he's got this chapter in that 12 rules for life and each chapter is one of the rules right and one of them is uh pursue what is meaningful 
not what is expedient, okay? And so, like, and one of the things he talks about in that chapter is this idea of, like, accepting suffering as a part of being and questioning happiness as, like, an end in itself, right? And I think that that is, uh, I think that that's not helpful, you know? Like, that's not, that that's not, um, well, no, it's not not helpful. It's helpful, but it's, like, the way that he's using it, you know? He's... You got to ask yourself, like, what does this do in context? Like, what is Jordan Peterson also saying? What's the context? And he's telling you to, like, straighten out your back. He's telling you not to be a pussy. He's telling you to, like, pet a cat on the street or whatever fucking bullshit. And anyway, what it does is it, it and the people he attracts, I think, is evidence of what he's doing and what, like, the purpose this serves. Because it's always men. It's always, like, white guys. It's, like, a certain type of white guy, right? And it makes them feel justified. And their desire to like dominate and and uh, and be like dominating and being like strong because they feel weak, you know, and it creates a type of guy like the type of guy who's into Jordan Peterson is often like politically unaligned, but sort of vaguely alt right. They're kind of like and then the, the real extreme version of the Jordan Peterson vine is like basically the facts and logic guy. You know what I mean? Kind of like a Ben Shapiro facts and logic guy, but not quite so ideologically aligned. And he, he very quickly goes from like making a YouTube video where he cuts together all these like Jordan Peterson interviews going, Jordan Peterson destroys feminism. Jordan Peterson, yeah. you know what I mean? Like rams his cock down the throat of feminism. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's, that's what it quickly becomes. It's always like... Jordan Peterson absolutely annihilates this, sir. You know what I mean? And he just ends up going on and on and on about, like you were saying, we were joking about earlier, cultural Marxism. Everything becomes mm -hmm. this like conspiracy of cultural Marxism, which is this vague enemy that's trying to like soften everybody and make everybody a fucking pussy who's just like wants a safe space and wants uh, everybody to like think that their feelings matter and stuff. When it's like just ridiculous. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And the, suddenly the facts of facts and logic guy c becomes the uh, can I put my dick in it guy. You know what I mean? That's the guy who. Uh, Jordan Peterson kind of like that's what he breeds that's what it does because they need meaning you know it's like these people but but like what what do you, the crisis that started this is like this idea that you're supposed to that you're supposed to have like that the meaning in your life is supposed to be that you're like powerful and successful and strong and like I just think that it's it just makes me sad to see all these yeah. guys you know and then there's um no it's definitely not just guys though like i d definitely know a few uh female fans of jordan peterson but like i think they'd be the first to tell you that like they didn't get into him when he was when they were living their best life you know they were right. also broken by the patriarchy and by capitalism and stuff like that at the time uh and and reeling with the effects of the same system it's just that they were they were suffering because they were already the 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 oppressed gender in there yeah. uh not just like uh these guys that are just like poorly functioning in society and whatnot yeah um, yeah the incels and all that. but uh yeah yeah i just and i think too like a, a, another thing like so the thing that i think attracts people to it i is that there's this absence at the heart of our existence that needs to be filled with meaning that we made ourselves and someone hands yes. you a ready-made one and it feels good. It makes you feel like 
you've got like a, a sense of purpose and community. And another one who does this now and who didn't start out doing this is, I don't know if you've heard of, have you ever heard of Katie Hopkins? Uh, yeah. Okay. So like, I mean, I've heard, certainly heard the name. Yeah. But, uh, well, she was basically like, she was on uh, Dragon's Den, like the thing that, that Trump was on, but like the British version of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she be, she made a which which one can you describe what she looks like? Because I'm a fan of Dragons Day. <laughs> <laughs> I hate watch it. <laughs> she wasn't on the American. I'm not a one. fan of it. I hate watch it and sharks Sharks Tank because like Shark Tank because they are just America's like capitalism's id. Yeah. You know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's absurd. But she's blonde and like very white and normal. But she wasn't on the American one. She's on like the British one. Yeah, no, no, no. She's a slightly older lady. Like now she is. Yeah, she yeah, talks yeah. a bit like this. Like uh... she's kind of posh. She's kind of posh. And yeah, yeah. Um... I think I know exactly which one you're talking. about. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, she, she went from being yeah. this person who made a name for herself by being just like really quite repugnant in her opinions. Like she'd say things uh-huh. like, "I would never let my children." play with a kid named like kyle or something like that and then they were like oh what's your kid's name and they're like her kid's name was india or some shit and like she's just like a real classist asshole she's just like really like nasty that was kind of her shtick was being like just an asshole just being like a real like like looking down your nose at other people kind of but then she moved from being just that and expanded and she got like really like politicized right so now to skip forward, I'm not going to give you like a history of fucking Katie Hopkins because she's a fucking just an asshole. But she basically is now she's gotten like kicked off Twitter. She's not allowed on television anymore. <laughs> she's not allowed on the radio anymore. Like everyone is either like she's actually like outright banned or just like people won't have anything to do with her. So the only place now that she still does anything is on uh, Instagram where she like posts a lot of videos of herself talking about like she just says like really horrifically uh like racist white nationalist uh islamophobic stuff but she also here's the thing that's interesting she made a a documentary it's about 45 minutes long it's called homelands and it's all about like how white people need like their own israel because like the Europe is being taken over by like the muzzies, <laughs> you know what I mean? like, and it's fucking bonkers. And she like goes to Israel and shows how there's like a second Holocaust happening there as well. And she like is always banging on about South Africa and how there's like a genocide of white people happening in South Africa. And uh, and then more recently this year, she's basically her entire British like fan base has just shrunk because she's just such a fucking gobshite. You know what I mean? She's like such an unlikable person that the only people who really follow her anymore are like Americans, like nutjob MAGA chuds who lo- they fucking love her. So she goes over there all the time and and does stuff there. And like all of her like content has now changed to be like about like American stuff. And she was just like she's banging the drum for Trump and everything. But one of the things that I thought was interesting and I'm going to cut it in here. I'm going to cut it in here. Right. Just uh, I definitely want to close out our interview on a joyful uh, note because you're so you're so (laughs) irrepressibly joyful, even in the middle of all that we're watching. So again, on your tour around America, you told one story, and I hope I can give you enough hints. You know what I'm talking about? A story about going to a meeting in California where you were seeing in the eyes of people, grown men, and getting teary, talking about wow, I found, I came to a place where there's joy, there's love of America, there's energy, there's happiness. Can you describe what, what, what yes. that was happening? So, so this is gatherings in, in so California, and this was kind of a month or so ago, so still early in terms of breaking lockdowns. 
people gathering together in, in yards. Someone called it a John Lewis memorial, but it was actually, you know, our <laughs> side. <laughs> they John. Okay, yeah, sorry, we all had to sorry. have a moment of quiet while we pretended that. But um, the point was, uh, you know, you saw these men who, who in the, over the last eight months for them, their lives had been destroyed. So not only did they lose their job, but because they lost their job, their marriage went, and then their children went with their, maybe their wife. Or, and these men would be crying. I've had more men cry on me in the last eight weeks than I have, I think, in my life. But because they felt like they'd come home to their people, and I, and I have this with my Jewish friends who are moving to Israel, or pe when people come home, they feel comfortable and they're able to release all this stuff. Yes. And that's yes. what our side is now. Our, this isn't left or right. This isn't red or blue. This is about coming home. And, and this is the heart of America. And I encourage anybody who's out there feeling hurt or lonely or lost or broken or beaten, and it doesn't matter who you hated before in your past, come home um, because we will look after you and then we'll be able to look after America. Do you, isn't that fucking... That is, yeah, it's a very pervasive sort of idea. Yeah. And it pervades into, I dare say it, our politics where there's this whole notion of like, let's go to this past before this troubled world I seen before me was like a reality. And it's as much of a delusion and a denial of what reality is as that is, you know? Yeah, exactly. Oh. But I think too, like one of the most insidious things about it is that it's like, this is the thing is that you, you can't escape it it's not like a new thing this isn't a new thing where people yeah. need to feel a sense of community they need to feel that sense of whatever like she said like coming home and feeling like you're part of you know one of us or whatever like that's always been the case but the thing that's crazy is and that i don't disagree with her like by all means we should just not through the particular methods that she's talking about like through, you know, through the denial of these realities of the diverse world that we live in, essentially, like we should actually uh, not be stoking a mob. That's how you, you know, the Black Lives Matter sign is there not to protect them from when the mob comes. It's there in the hopes that the freaking mob never forms. Right. Right. You know, <laughs> like, uh... I know it's crazy, isn't it? Because it's like it's so sad because she's roping. The, she's like, you know, pulling people, but she's like basically pointing out the absence uh, and, and speaking to that. Yeah. And uh, she's pointing out that these desperate guys and these desperate women as well are having these like identity crises. Right. Because capitalism, yeah. like it, it just basically hollows out the like the the material, the material uh, means of being able to address these things. You know what I mean? Like that's the it it it, it the crisis of capitalism, the crisis that yeah. we're having is is man-made. It's not just like a virus suddenly happening. It's the fact that we don't have like structures that look after people. The fact that there's like such gross inequality that we've like yeah, and in the United States particularly that we have like an economic system that that cre that makes it necessitates uh, having like surplus humans, you know, I mean, these people are like surplus to requirements. It needs it to be that way. And so these people, when they find themselves in this like surplus human, I guess you could call it a proletariat, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> they, uh, they end up upset about it. You know, a lot of them were probably like kind of petty bourgeois people who own small businesses or whatever. First, they had some sort of tiny bit of capital they could hold on to. And they're the ones who were the most fiercely, terrified of being like sucked into the vortex 
of like uh, you know from, that's coming from the bottom that the, the, that's cr- dragging them into this proletariat into this working class. They don't want to be the, one of these surplus people. They don't want to be, and who does? No, no, no doubt. But the the material reality. This is what I think is interesting: is that like the social being determines the consciousness. You know what I mean? It's like the fact that we need each other is uh, is one of the things that's being distorted and making these people hate black people. It's making them hate like, you know, the left in uh, scare quotes there uh, that is making them hate all these, like this other, which is basically most people because they're just a tiny number of people, uh, all things considered uh, when, especially when you consider that the United States does not represent even like the majority of the, of the, the, the world's population. So it's, but the thing is that the fact that they need to band together like that is, just like evidence of that that's what I, they need sociality they need to be part of like a social structure and and it's like not even a controversial thing to say but i think that that shows just like how profound this this need is and how like you need but the the scary thing is is that you can graft any old shit onto that profound need to be part of something bigger than yourself to be able to collectively produce this meaning that you fill that absence with. And that's scary, you know, because you can delude yourself completely mm-hmm. that you've got this sort of you community. You can make that the state. You can make that protecting white people, you know, right. whiteness or whatever. You can make that Israel, you know, right. like a lot of, you could make that, you know, like uh, there, there's the space for all of that. You know? Right, like right. There's... And it's scary too, because it's uh, like, it's, it's, it's it's community. It is community, but only in the narrowest sense. It's uh, sociality, but only in like the absolutely narrowest sense. And that's and, yeah. and and it's and it's giving them a sense of it's giving them meaning, but again, only in the narrowest sense. You know, it's like that's the scary thing. And and the the funny thing about that yeah. is that people on the the kind of center left, like a lot of like of my liberal friends, I think that they think that they're not doing that. You know, they think that that like that's yeah. what these stupid fucking idiot chuds are doing. But like I'm not doing that, and it's funny because it's like, but but you are too. Like we we all are. We're all like banding together into some sort of social grouping to feel like us and uh, not feel like them, so that we can work together to produce like a sense of uh, purpose and meaning that that gives us something that's like worth living for. And I and I feel like when you base it on on this like. Uh, this like false idea of like uh you know it's it's you know you're just basically doing the same thing as them but going like it's not like i don't i don't hate black people i hate chuds do you know what i mean and it's like that that isn't sufficient i don't think you know yeah Uh, i don't know i mean it's okay to have feelings but it's not right (laughs) but um it's in the commodification of it you know because that that will it's turning into a resource beyond the, beyond yourself. Um, just to just to go back to uh, you know, I like to take all conversations uh, to the founding fathers of America, <laughs> the uh, the great noble document writers. Um, and Miranda. There's that f- phrase that they wrote that I'll say I'll very slightly edit it to make it a little better, but. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all people are created equal and they're endowed with the right to life, liberty, 
and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, and that's, that's the base meaning that we kind of gave things that, that I feel like a lot of people in the modern world, at least in America, I feel at least in theory, base, base meaning around, um, in the absence of, of these other things that we've, we've been talking about before is that at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's our, you know, we, we can agree that like life is important, even if we don't think of it in that precious sort of, even though like Jerry Falwell's interpretation of life, which is, you know, stopping abortions and letting people get the death penalty is different from my interpretation of life, which is like, you know, the one that's like every second that I'm, you know, the impossibly here in this moment is a, is a valuable thing. And so is the, that moment for every other being that's experiencing it. So like, that's of great value and we should, we should revel in that and protect it. Uh, because life is not guaranteed. There's plenty of ways to end life as we all know. (laughs) Um, and, and liberty is, of course, freedom, you know, like to not be restricted. We knew that that r- restricting people's life is restricting their happiness. And that gets to the next one, which is this one thing that we all seem to understand, which is pleasure and happiness. Like we enjoy it. Uh, even like the simple concept of enjoyment, it all comes from this positive thing that we feel, these uh, endorphins that are released, the the serotonin and uh, all these things that are released when we do these various things that we have either ourselves ascribed to or our biology has, has ascribed, you know, uh, the big things, the previous ones. You, you ask a human and they may, may say life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. You ask absolutely any other animal and they say life is about uh, life eating and fucking in that order. You know, like, uh, <laughs> like I agree with you on the life thing. Um, I, I have a constant sense that I need to keep myself alive and that I'm in danger. I don't know about this I will die one day thing that you're talking about, <laughs> but like I know that like Steve the fox is trying to kill me and he keeps coming around, you know, and I got to deal with that. And then also, I always want to eat, and that feels good. And man, when I, uh, that one time I had sex, that was great. And that is meaningful because it, like, continues your life, and it continues life beyond you. Um, And so there's that, but, like, we don't need to focus on that as humans anymore. Like, we don't need to worry about the continuation of our species in general, in a sense, we obviously do, and we don't well, we do address it because of climate change. No, 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 climate change, you know, like, we're not addressing it, you know? Like, we're, we're still capable of, like, living and having sex and breeding, breeding, but, like, we're not actually, you know, evolutionarily <laughs> sustainable right now, uh, <laughs> which nothing is, but we're, we're making the timeline faster. Um, yeah, so, like libertarians will say that like that's the most important thing like everyone has their different definitions for how we promote other people's ability to be alive be free and maybe attain some sort of happiness um and what we've done in america largely is commodify it all and say that you can produce we'll pay you for that product we'll pay you for your labor will everything will have value and everything will be consumable and commodified and so your life is going to be based on your ability to work and buy 
a house and a a a, a, a blouse and a house and a mouse to eat. <laughs> you know, like so you will you will have your blouse and house and mouse through the the effort that you put in and through the joy of eating the mouse and and your wife wearing the blouse and you being in love with her or you wearing the blouse or whatever you know uh uh you know you'll attain happiness and whatnot you'll be able to buy uh a a a a, a grouse for your spouse <laughs> all right no, no no you'll be able to buy other things like you can get a whatever a car you can buy that flight simulator that i've heard everyone says is cool these days you know yeah uh and you can you can do all these things it's like a it's a it's another system we've created that is a rather effective one because you you are able to at least commodify things and at least give people a rubric to say hey if you can achieve this much value you'll be able to attain all of the things anyone could desire that we've commodified um the problem becomes not only are we obviously not being equitable in everyone's ability to attain that value and to have, more importantly, from a Marxist perspective, the effort and labor that they put in translate to a similar amount of uh, ability to enjoy the commodities as other people. Um, but also, by commodifying it, you're... You're also you're 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 misunderstanding that all you need to achieve the happiness is to attain these things, which is absolutely obviously not true. It it could be that all of these things and comfort and safety and love and stuff obviously leads to happiness, uh, and a lack of them is obviously going to hinder that. But we've kind of created this false narrative that if you attain it you will be happy. Right. And that is obviously not true. Right, exactly. And we have no, like, we've, we've fallen short. Not only are we falling short in our ability to offer everyone that bargain, but also the bargain itself does not actually work all the time. And we, because of the bargain that we've made, we're removing our ability to provide uh, that sort of meaning comfortably with each other because of the fact that we've created this system that also fails people to achieve it. Um, yeah. I also, yeah. I think I for me, like comes across the, one great, of the reasons but... that I was thinking about all this now, I think as well, maybe it's cause it's like the winter's coming and uh, it gets like darker and stuff. But also, I mean, uh, you and I both, like we have a couple of mutual friends who've like died since I've been over here, you know? And, and like that, that yeah. always got me thinking like that changed the way I looked at stuff. One was, um, like uh, obviously, people listening to this won't know, but like we had Norm and I had this mutual friend who was like a older guy, you know, in his fifties, and he died very suddenly, uh, and and like it was it was really upsetting for me because he and I were very close, but there was a lot that uh, that he didn't tell us and stuff like uh, like his group of friends. So when he died, like loads of stuff came out about him that we didn't know. And it was like stuff that he was obviously ashamed of that he didn't really have a reason to be ashamed of, uh, to uh, at least from any of his friends' perspective. In fact, a lot of it was stuff that we already knew that I, I don't know why he thought we didn't know or why he didn't think he could talk about it. But another thing that was sad about the way he died was he died, uh, he was the kind of guy who grew up sort of like a, with a fairly wealthy family and then he died kind of poor 
And when I, the, the thing that fucked me up is that when he died, it was like, imagine, because he, he had a heart attack, right? And just like dropped dead. And I thought like, man, imagine this motherfucker didn't die. Imagine he had the heart attack and didn't die. And he just had heart disease in America in an economic recession with no money and like no uh, health insurance. It's like, I, I don't even know what would have been worse. Like the fact that he died really instantly or if he hadn't died, if he'd had the heart attack and then had heart failure, uh, but but lived and didn't have like adequate cover, didn't have adequate uh, money to like to have somewhere decent to live. I mean that, and that to me was like that was one of the things that kind of started me getting because ra- it's not like it's not really particularly a political point. I know I don't want to make it a political point, but there is a political component to it because politics is the the sum total of all of us having to get along together. And um, the very fact that... And it's definitely not hard to see that the wealth is there when you look at his not only life, but his funeral. Right, Like right. There was, you know, probably a couple, bi- like a billion dollars in that church when we were Absolutely. there. Certain, you know, like there's literally people there that people in America associate with money. Like if we were to say their names and stuff. Right, yeah, there'd yeah, be, yeah. There, there's like a one degree of separation from money. From money to the in people's minds with those people and you know and the craziest and like thing, i'm not saying i'm just saying like it's there we know it's exactly there, you know it can't be, they can't be they can't be uncoupled those things you know what i mean like the politics is mm-hmm. like a component of your life uh whether you like it or not and one of the things that upset me is at his funeral he wasn't religious he didn't believe in god really but his mother was a fundamentalist christian and had a yeah. fundamentalist christian funeral and the guy the the whatever the the pastor priest whoever the preacher guy who delivered his like the sermon at his uh at, at his funeral kept the, the thing that fucked me up was that he kept talking about like p uh, uh you know uh he he wouldn't he's looking down at us right now and he's laughing at yeah. us being upset he would want us to take this opportunity to let Jesus into our hearts. And it was just like, oh, my God, man. this Yeah, it's like, bro, he's laughing, but he's laughing at the notion that you would say something ridiculous like that <laughs> exactly. at his funeral. Exactly. Like, I, I, I will never forget that because it wasn't even once. It was a few times, and it was, like, direct. Like, I feel like he was talking to us. Like, me and you and the other young people that were there right. with our heads bowed, he literally said something along the lines of, like, right now is like your heads are bowed like contemplate like taking jesus into your life or something i honestly felt like he was talking to us yeah and i was never in my life have felt so offended by in, in by you know like for the deceased right like i like this was like that person would not have appreciated that right. <laughs> and they would have they first they would have laughed Laughed, and they would have been on the floor holding their belly at the notion yeah. if we told them that th- this scene was transpiring at their funeral. Right, you know? exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, and also, too, like it, it didn't just like offend me. It it made me like extremely sad because it was like, yeah, I just felt like you know what I mean. Like wh- like he had uh, friends, and that's beautiful. And all those friends came to the funeral and stuff. But like knowing that like all it would have taken to make this guy's life better was like just people being reasonable and having like some sort of fucking health care. You know what I mean? Like he could have gotten seen too yeah. earlier. He would have like maybe. And then also too like another I don't mean to get like too personal here, but like my uh another mutual friend of Norm's and mine is my uh my ex 
who died, uh, you know, like a, a like a, about a, a two years ago now. And um, the crazy thing about it's 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 coming up to like the time when she died as well. And I I think about it a lot, and it doesn't make me that sad because she was she was uh, such like a, a strong and amazing person, and um, she had like a real good go at it, and she uh, but. And again, like she, she died of a, like a very rare form of uh, cancer that was really aggressive and she managed to get like top notch treatment, but she had to crowdfund for it. And that, that like, I know that like, it's not, again, like I don't want to make her into like a, like a point. I'm not trying to make a political point really. It's just the way that these things like feed into your view of the world. Right. And that's what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to like tie it all together here because like that was another thing that for me was really like unsettling because I loved her to death and it was so sad to lose her. And but the, the, the crowdfunding thing was great because it worked so well for her. But then you hear about like, mm. you realize that there's like this whole industry of like crowdfunding for people who have cancer because they can't like, mm. cause they, they're from a country that doesn't have like a national health service or if it does, it's like not sufficient or whatever. And that to me is like yeah, I'm pretty sure two thirds of all crowdfunding in America is healthcare related. And the other important thing to note is that the uh, the majority of crowdfunding attempts are not successful. Yeah, yeah, and that's that to me is crazy. Like that that to me is like uh, again like it's not like you could there's another place another time and place for the argument to be like angry about this. It's not here. I think I'm not trying to do that. Like, I don't want to turn my friends uh, into like, uh, like, you know, pawns for my political point scoring. But like the, the it's more about I'm more like focusing on the fact that how can you live in a world where this shit happens? And you know this, yeah. that like you might be better off dead on the one hand or like that, like it's it's it, that, that you did succeed in getting like everything you could. And that nothing could have saved you and you died, but you died like masterfully. Like the way that my ex died was like, you know, she was just like, she just had such, like she's such like a dignified person. It was like her, like it's yeah. really just amazing. I'm like just so yeah. overawed by by her, the way that she passed, you know, she was just so fucking, she just like owned it. She's just fucking amazing. And like that's, for me, like I, I, I feel like if I learned anything from like the the wonderful times that I was able to spend with her is that like I needed her so much and everything that like so much of who I am is is bound up in 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 my time I spent with her and with my and, and with our other mutual friend as well like those people uh their lives as much as they're like uh, more than their deaths were like the thing that like you know I, I am who I am because I knew them if I'd never met them yes. I wouldn't be who I am now I'd be a different person I, uh, I, and I, I, everything that, and I feel like everything that I know about politics and about the world and everything that gives my life meaning links back to this is that I, I feel like the only thing that I can do to give my life meaning is to try to give expression to these things that I've experienced through these wonderful people and also some shitty people, you know, like some shitty things that have happened to me as well. I have to try to to give them expression. And one of the most amazing... And you do. You will either way. That's the thing. It's like you will either way, even if you're not conscious of it, because they shaped you and because you're still here, you are living their expression. 
You are the, the living artifact of them and everything that came before. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And and it's funny because like and one why why like why is it interesting to hear us talk? You know, like uh, that's like a question that someone could ask, like what like why does what we have anything to say? Why does it matter? And it's like our voices specifically like they don't they're not of a specific value or interest in and of themselves. But it's like I feel like where meaning comes from is like is, is by really at the end of the day, it comes down to like generosity because like you're giving back what you've got from from and, and for me i live in a world where i'm not just like surrounded by people who are just like me but i and i'm I, i've I, and what i've got i've got thanks to like a movement of people whether you want to call it that or not i mean like a, a but also too like you know there's like a, a working class movement there's just also like families and friendship groups all these things are like groups that i have benefited from and i'm like giving expression to where to to those things and and the only thing you can do is like find where maybe the 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 really like crystallized kernels of the beautiful things about those people and those things that have happened before me that have forged me you know when i see where it might be absent i can try to like bring it there you know and that creates a network you know the more you talk and 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 organize and get together with people you're forming like a network and that binds you to the, the people you're talking to and it binds those people you're talking to to people in the past who they've never met and that is how i mean that that makes like meaning work i, I think that that's one of the things and it comes back to that marx quote it's like it's it, what he's saying isn't some sort of like rule of thumb it's not some like deterministic rule about what makes us think the way we do it's like we're bound to each other and like doing all of this you know being part of a just the very fact of like being like cavemen who like picked up some sort of thing and made tools and then like decided all together, Hey, let's like work together to make it possible to live and eat and like stay warm and shit like that right there is like, I did not the primary acknowledgement that we needed each other. And the more that we do that, like that's based on that acknowledgement that we need each other, all of all of us, that to me is like, that's, that's how you make meaning. We're going to die. Yes, one day, the people we've influenced, it'll seem like uh, even they've forgotten about us, you know, and that will just happen. And then those people will die and on and on. And then the sun will envelop us. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and you can look at that negatively if you want, because there was no heaven for you to live in eternally or something like that. But that influence you had on other people especially if it was a good influence you know yeah 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 <laughs> uh, if you weren't dick cheney <laughs> yeah yeah it, it can mean so much like for years now i've ascribed the meaning to my life by telling myself that uh you know a a, a medical procedure i did to to help my to save my brother you know was like the you know uh the most valuable thing like i was able to uh help you know mo most likely save his life uh and like there's just nothing i'll ever do you know my there's nothing i will let, let's brainstorm it i'll never do anything <laughs> that is as kind of materially valuable as that but now he has 
children. And like now, like there's, I see so much value in them and the future for them. And like, yes, I fear for the day that they're going to experience sadness and suffering and heartbreak. And it breaks my heart to know that their heart is going to break one day. Um, but you know, they'll also experience all those joys. Yeah. Uh, and there's no, like I said in the beginning, there's no solution to this life. It's all hard. That suffering the Buddhists talk about, it's there. And there's no escaping it. Yeah, and if anything, it's the absence. <laughs> but every single good thing that has ever been done in the history of time was done in the face of that right, reality. Right. It's the motor. It's the motor that 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 keeps uh, everything ticking over. It keeps everything moving. And I here let, let's so yeah. like let me tie it back to the beginning then. So like at the beginning, I was asking this question: like, who are we? And who gets to answer that question? And I feel like if uh, I want to formulate it back like that, because because it, 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 basically to be able to answer the question you have to tell a story because I think our brains as humans are hardwired to think in terms of stories and to tell stories it's how we make sense of the world it's how we make sense of each other and it's how we make sense of ourselves and so the story has got to have uh, it's got to have more that hasn't happened yet to keep you involved I guess you know and Basically, to make a long story short, I don't. I can't speak for everybody. Maybe some people get their sense of meaning from this, that, or the other thing. I get it from having something to look forward to. I get the only time I get really depressed and really hopeless and stuff is when I've got nothing to look forward to. When it just looks like, because I mean, like, let's face it, man. I'm I'm like this guy who just works this fucking shitty low paid job, and I I don't have anything particularly to look forward to. I have like a couple, and when I figure out a way, you know, to the, the, it makes me go like, uh, it makes me feel really shitty. You know, it makes me feel like a loser. You know, a lot of people do. I'm sure you live in a world where the, you're, you're, you're basically human surplus. Uh, the, the economy doesn't really need you, or if it does, it needs you to do some like menial bullshit. And there's an ever increasing number of people in exactly this situation there's like a downwardly mobile generation of people and every generation after it is more downwardly mobile. And it's like all of us are going to be confronting all of these real material problems, which we talk about in other episodes and other people talk about maybe more intelligently than I can. But one thing that I can talk, speak to is that I, I'm, I, the, the problem of like, what does that mean about you? What does it say about you? Is like it doesn't really say anything about you. You know, it doesn't mean that you're a loser because like things have gotten shitty or whatever you know and like and things are hard things are hard for everybody and people manage they manage and they they work it out because the thing for me is that i've got something to look forward to i think to myself i'm gonna try to organize i'm gonna try to get involved with like you know a working class movement i'm gonna try to get involved with other people who think the same way as me or maybe people who don't as well and work towards like trying to get them to see things a certain way and i want to ask them like who do you think you are like who who are we who are we and and who gets to answer the question like like why do you like if you think that you're a loser if you think that you're a piece of shit if you think that life is hopeless like who 
who told you that? Like, who told you that that's that this is the way that the world is? Who told you that you're this like cog in the machine? Who told you that you're this like useless piece of shit? You know, you're someone who someone loves. You're someone who someone needs. Everybody needs you in some way. We need each other, and that to me is like you have something to look forward to because you know, if especially if you're a Marxist, you know that there are like contradictions that are internal to the way that we've organized society that just cannot last. It cannot. It, it can't last. The center can't hold. There is something to look forward to. It might be scary. It might be wor- fuck. It might be worse. It might be worse than what we've got now. But it's <laughs> something fucking different. Yeah. It's something different. Something different is coming. Things are happening. Things are changing. It's and the stakes have never been higher. We've got climate change. All these things matter. We've got something to look forward to. I I'm gonna try my fucking hardest to like make sure that uh you know it, it just the other day was Remembrance Day and everybody's fucking like wargasming over fucking the, they're wearing their poppies and shit and you're like. I know that I'm going to look, I know what I'm remembering and I know what I'm looking forward to. The day when inbred fucking idiots, a family of inbred idiots doesn't send like 15 million people out to go fucking kill each other. You know, I'm looking forward to the day when that doesn't happen. I'm looking forward to the day when we don't look back on that as some sort of like heroic great achievement, but as a fucking terrible tragedy. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the day yeah. when my friends don't die of heart attacks because they didn't, couldn't afford to go to the doctor to get sorted out and get it looked at. I'm looking forward to the day when people don't have to fucking... Uh, crowdfund to get healthcare. I'm looking forward to the day when we don't have to go like, well, thank God that we got like probably the worst fucking presidential candidate who's ever sat in office next to the one he just replaced. You know what I mean? Like he's he's only like marginally less bad than the one that he just replaced. I'm looking forward to the day when that isn't the case. And that's something because I need the narrative. You know what I mean? I need the, the story. Like, and, and the story doesn't have an end it doesn't end you know what i mean yeah. it ends when you die maybe it's not necessarily going to be those things that you're looking for right to. <laughs> right yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah but you know what i mean like i have to tell myself that these things are possible i have to make and the thing is is that here's the thing is that i'd rather read a story that told me what it is like it is you know what i mean look at the thing like it yeah. is that's one thing like and it's funny because i'm the one of the next projects i'm going to do with uh the with the press is like this uh malcolm x speech the ballad of the bullet and one of the refrains in that speech he keeps saying look at the thing like it is look at the thing like it is and that's mm-hmm. what i feel like you got to do and that's what i feel like is valuable about marxism about marx well not marxism necessarily but marx it's a, just a tool it's not an answer Marx doesn't like you. It's not like you read yeah. Marx and you're like, oh, I know I have purpose in life and I, I get it. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's not, you know what I mean? It's not doing that. It's just giving you a way of looking at things. It's giving you one tool for the toolbox and it's a really fucking useful one, like a like a hammer or a wrench, you know? And it's like it's it's helping you to look and see, like, look at the thing as it is. Don't be deceived by like the form that it takes or the just the appearance of it. Like if you look at it, if you put all the fragments together, you can see that this is a thing. And when you see that it's a thing, you see that it's a really bad thing. <laughs> it's a really bad thing that's really destructive and like it's killing a lot of people and making a lot of people really fucking miserable, but it also is a thing that can't stand on its own two feet forever. So, that's something to look forward to, and that for me is what gives the world meaning is the ability to look forward <laughs> to the ability to look forward to something and the fact that the f- the future isn't written the future isn't fucking finished and there isn't it's not destiny you know it's about like what we can do Absolutely. you know and it's what we make and the it. very mm-hmm. fact that the only way that we can write this story is writing it together the only way that we can finish the story or even like continue it is by getting together and the fact that we're doing it right now you know, it's just a matter of doing it better. You know, we're doing it right now and like just doing it better. That to me is like, that's what gives the world meaning, you know? 
uh, David Graeber said that phrase that I like always think about because it's just proven true so many times over and over again that the ultimate hidden truth of the world is that it's something that we make. Right. And we can just as easily make it differently. Yes. You know, uh, and we really could all, all it takes is for us to accept it because the fundamental answer to that question you keep asking is who gets to give it meaning is that we do, we all get, get to give it meaning and we all do give it meaning. And then we kind of are in a constant battle over what meaning we're going to accept and how much we're going to turn that meaning into the meaning of our own that we're accepting for ourselves. And we can say that we are both accepting the same meaning, but it won't be because I'm accepting mine and you're accepting yours. And even if we're both pledging fealty to Jordan Peterson or whatever it may be, like, you know, we're doing it in different ways. I I promise to always be committed to (laughs) to the lobster. But yeah, to, uh, you know, quoting so many people, Let's uh, let me find close it on a quote with from uh, the the great and noble Sir Eric Idle. I'm sure he's a sir by oh, now. Yeah. But <laughs> remember when you're feeling, you know, he had that the the universe song, Whatever the galaxy song, down, Mrs. Brown. Things <laughs> <laughs> seem harder, tough. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the universe song. Another great example of Joanna Newsom Emilyism. You know, it's a great song <laughs> with a wonderful point. And it's full of statistics that are slightly incorrect. <laughs> but it's all about the vastness of the universe and stuff like that. And then at the very end, it ends with, so remember when you're feeling very small and insecure, how amazing and unlikely is your birth. And pray that there's intelligent life somewhere up in space, 